Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host. Today our text is taken from the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, which says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perish, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. This verse is a great comfort to some of us who are going through trials and tribulations. Maybe we have a health problem. Maybe we have a problem with our spouse or our children, or maybe things aren't going well at work, or maybe some of our relatives are not very pleasant to us. Whatever trials you're facing, they are there because the Lord Jesus has allowed them to come into your life. And there is a blessing because when we go through trials and tribulations, we usually become more open to spiritual things. And we pray and we trust the Lord to help us to get through those difficulties in life. And as we trust Him each day, we see Him work in our life and He's perfecting us and helping us to be more Christ-like, but also He's helping us to be a bigger and a better light as we shine in such a dark place that we find ourselves in. So we have a great privilege of serving Him, whether we're on the mountaintop or whether we're in the valley. God's still in control of our lives because He's promised never to leave us or forsake us and He's always there in time of need. It's a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio two missionaries from Japan, from, actually from the island of Okinawa, where I had served uh, in the military at one time in my previous existence. And Peter and Valerie have served in Okinawa for four years now, and they're home on furlough, and they want to share some of the experiences that they've had on the mission field. So as we were doing ministry in Okinawa and working with the local church there, we met the pastor's son-in-law, and uh, we have lovingly named him Charles to protect his privacy. Charles is a very interesting character. He's not a Christian, uh, 
his wife is, um, but he is not, which seems to be very common in Japan where the, the wife is a Christian and then the husband is not. So we have desired to build a relationship with him. Uh, we really desire to see him become a Christian. I remember the first time that we had him over, it was such a wonderful time. We had him and his wife and his sister-in-law and basically the whole family with the kids and everyone over and we were eating together and they had such a wonderful time that at the end, in a very un-Japanese fashion, he blurts out, we should have you over for dinner. And his wife, a little hesitant, says, well, how about we go out for a meal? <laughs> Which is the more Japanese thing to do. <laughs> Most Japanese people won't invite people over unless you're family to their home. And at the time, they were living in a very small apartment. And so I think she was quite nervous about <laughs> having us over. But that was really the beginning of uh, this wonderful relationship that we have with him. And so over, over as the months rolled by, uh, we started to just have them over on a really regular basis. And it was really interesting because there came a point where we started to feel like Charles was kind of testing us to see if we would accept him and love him in spite of behavior that he might exhibit that might not be appropriate. Um, so for instance, one time uh, I was using a wrong word in Japanese. And in the Japanese culture, you never want to correct someone when they're using a wrong word or something like that, because it's seen as very impolite. And the Japanese don't really differentiate between a person and their actions and their ideas. It's if you criticize someone's actions or ideas, then you're also criticizing the person themselves. And so he corrected a word that I said. And even my Japanese language teacher will often not correct me, even when I know that I'm doing something wrong. Even and when you ask. Even when you ask them to, yeah. <laughs> um, and so he, he made this correction and I just, I paused for a second because I was kind of surprised, but then I went on and used the word that he had suggested and, and our relationship continued on like normal. And he did several interesting things um, that just were culturally kind of questionable, but we just were so determined to just keep loving him. And I think eventually he kind of accepted that and the testing stopped, but it did go on for several months. Yeah, one of the tests actually was quite interesting. I think it would be even inappropriate here. Um, he was over at our house and we were talking about soccer. It's his favorite sport. And he mentioned that the Japanese men's team was trying to qualify for the World Cup. And so I was just trying to talk with him and learn more about the soccer team because I, I don't know much about international soccer. And he suddenly says, can I come over to watch the game? <laughs> I said, sure. He says to me, can I invite my friends? Oh, <laughs> I said, yeah, sure. On one condition. And he said, what? He said, I said to him, on the condition that we can make the food and we'll provide Canadian snacks that we would normally eat at a sporting event when we get together with friends. And he says, oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and we had a wonderful time. He invited people over and we had just an incredible time with him. And we are desperately praying for his salvation. And actually, it's uh, been quite a fascinating journey just to watch him. He actually attended our Bible ESL class where 
they would each week learn stories. The students would learn stories about Jesus. And at the end of each Bible ESL class, there's a memory verse. And when he first started attending, he was so excited. He would come up to Peter every week after class and share with him the verse from the week before he had memorized these English Bible verses. And so we just kept praying to God that he would just really use those verses that had been implanted in Charles's mind to kind of filter into his heart and so that he would become a Christian. And so I actually started praying as well for Charles to become a Christian through his daughter, Annabelle. He and his daughter are very, very close. And she at that point was not a Christian either. And we started praying for her salvation. We had also developed quite a close relationship with her as well. And she had been attending our kids ESL class and we just kept trying to pour Jesus love into her life and we just found out a couple months ago that she actually has become a Christian. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And she's being baptized in Japan and so now we <laughs> it seems like that that uh, drawing of her daddy to Christ may, may be getting started now that she's become a Christian as well. Well that's a really interesting story and uh, thank you so much for sharing it. Lord bless you. Thank you so much for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. As you know, this is a listener-supported program, and we would not be able to be on the air without our listeners' help. Please remember us in your wills and trust as a legacy gift. This can help Canada's National Bible Hour continue on the air even after your life on this earth ends. This month, we are offering a booklet called The Saga of a Wise Fool by Dr. Fred Hartman. In this booklet, you will meet an intriguing character known for wisdom and foolishness. The contradiction between his reputation as the wisest man who ever lived and his choices that were very unwise can be understood by examining different aspects of his life. Dr. Fred Hartman does this in a very powerful way. To order your copy, please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario L2R7A7, or in the U.S., Box 2010, Buffalo, New York 14231.
Today's message is from Reverend Art Larson and is centered around the book of Philippians. Printed copies are available upon request. Christianity is not a new leaf. It's a new life. Salvation is not a new start. It's a new heart. A man bought a farm in which was an old pump. When the neighbors saw the new tenant pumping water, they rushed over and warned him the water was poisonous and unsafe for use. The former occupants, they said, father, mother, and all the children had died from drinking that poisoned water. The man thanked them kindly, and then he proceeded to remedy the situation. He mended the wooden platform over the well. He put a new handle on the pump. He fixed a crack on the spout, and then he painted the whole works. Now, we smile at the folly of such a man. Painting the pump was useless. What the man needed was a new well, clean, fresh, pure water. The lesson, though, is apparent. Jesus said to one of the finest, religious, honest, respected men of his day, you must be born again. You see, your pump may look fine and good on the outside, but do you have a new well? Are you clean on the inside? We're going to study that subject today in an unusual passage of Scripture as we continue our studies in the book of Philippians. We've seen in chapter 1 the mastery of Christ, in chapter 2 the mind of Christ, and today we begin a study of chapter 3. We'll entitle it, The Majesty of Christ. You see, He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when we trust Him as Savior, we become citizens of heaven. How do you get... To be a citizen of heaven, well, Paul says in verses 20 and 21 of Philippians 3, our citizenship, our conversation or citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our vile body and fashion it like unto his glorious body, according to the power whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. You see, he's the king. And in this chapter, we see the majesty of Christ that Paul was drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings for salvation. In verses 1 to 9, he gives his testimony. For sanctification or the deepening of his life in verses 10 to 15, and for standards of living as a Christian in verses 16 to 21. But today, we just want to study verses 1, 2, and 3 of this great third chapter. If you have your Bible and can follow along, please do so. If not, listen carefully as I read now Philippians 3, 1 to 3. It's a very unusual portion of Scripture. Listen very closely. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you for me is indeed not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul was in prison when he wrote this, but the whole theme of the book is joy and rejoicing. You see, regardless of what God permits to come our way in his gracious providence, and Paul writing from that awful prison, he could declare rejoice. In fact, he mentions it a number of times. In Christ, we do not live under circumstances as true believers. We are to live above them. Consequently, we can rejoice regardless of surroundings. You see, if Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, then you are complete in him. And you are therefore substantially equipped to face any problem or perplexity that may come your way, not because you are strong, but because Christ lives in you. He is your strength. You are his child. You belong to him. He redeemed you with his precious blood, and he will never leave you nor forsake you, no matter where you are or what circumstance you may be in. You can rejoice in the Lord. And that's what Paul says. He repeats it throughout this book. In fact, 
twice in chapter 4. When he says rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice, verse 4. Rejoicing in the Lord is uh, of absolute importance. It's not just a suggestion. It's not an option for evangelical extroverts. It is required because the Bible clearly teaches, Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, strong Christians are strong because they enjoy the Lord. People who don't enjoy the Lord in their lives are not strong Christians. They don't know anything of his strength. There's no way a mere human can live in this world as if he belongs to the next world without the strength of the Lord. <laughs> My, this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. But to live strong here with that joyous hope in mind, you've got to enjoy the Lord and learn to rejoice in the Lord. If not, you will fail in your Christian life and testimony. Now, how do you rejoice in the Lord? Well, there's two principles I'd like to suggest to you. One is trust Him as Lord and think on His love. To submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life is to open yourself up completely to His plan, whatever that may be, and uh, to let Him control your life. Uh, the Christian who resents the idea of submission and fights the claim of the Lordship of Christ lives a divided life. There's no joy in a divided life. Therefore, it's necessary to constantly evaluate your life in the light of Christ's control over every area of it. Jesus said, he said, these things have I written unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. John 15, 11. But in verse 10 of John 15, he said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. What he's saying is you have to be obedient to him. And the area where Jesus is not Lord of your life is the area where there will be only defeat and no joy. So if you're going to rejoice in the Lord, you have to trust him as Lord of all. Make him Lord of every area of your life today, my friend. And then think on his love. That's the second principle. You know that the Lord loves you. He tells you in his word. Do you really enjoy his love? Think of him. Think of his love in the morning when you wake up. Remember him in the daytime when you're getting stressed out and frayed in your nerves. Rejoice in him at night as you go to rest. Enjoy him and you will be stronger as a result. In the same chapter, John 15, Jesus said in verse 9, these remarkable words, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue, or literally, abide in my love. If all you do is ever think about your love for him, which will never be enough, you'll always be ashamed you don't love him more, and you'll be depressed. Rather, think of his love for you. It's unconditional. It's irrevocable. He'll never stop loving you. So if you're in the office, in the school, maybe you're home alone, and there are times you just feel so down, remember, he loves you, and the Bible says he's for you, and if God be for us, who can be against us? I love that little chorus. Often I sing it. It's great theology. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, 
Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. What a word of wisdom, then, from this great Apostle Paul. But then he gives a word of warning. Now, this is not easy to understand uh, for us today, nor is Paul being in any way uh, uh, prejudiced when he uses words dogs and evil workers and concision. He's just speaking about the, the whole matter of the problems that he's warning people against. And he says in verse 1 that he's doing it again. He says, uh, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous for you, it's safe. Little boy was asked about his new Sunday school teacher, and he said, I, I, I like her, but she's very forgetful. The parents said, why? He said, well, every Sunday when we, when we go to church and sit in her Sunday school class, she always asks us what last week's lesson was about. <laughs> well, Paul is saying, I'm going to write again. I'm going to warn you again. It's safe for you, for me to warn you. It, it's not tedious for me to do it. I need to do it because there are dogs and evil workers and those of the concision who are out there, who are ready to lead you astray. And so I need to warn you, who is Paul talking about? What group was he talking about? Well, certainly Paul loved the Jewish people. The Lord Jesus Christ, of course, was a Jew and died for our sins. He was the Messiah, the long-promised one. And uh, uh, like Paul, every sincere believer in Jesus Christ will have a heartfelt affection and respect for every Jew. Paul loved his countrymen. He was even willing to lose his own salvation if they could be saved. Read Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. His prayer for them, Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, was that they might be saved. But Paul is not talking about Jews as such here. Paul is speaking about those who had become believers in Christ and were now Jewish Christians who had made a profession of Christ but proposed to mix legalism or religion together with the grace of God. You see, you have to understand something of the background of the, of the whole Bible in this matter, and so let me remind you very quickly as to what Paul is talking about when he says, beware, beware of dogs, evil workers, concision. You see, in the first seven chapters of Acts, the gospel came only to Jewish believers, and uh, there were Gentiles, but they were Jewish proselytes. But in Acts chapter 10, Peter was called to go to the Gentiles, and this created an uproar. And he was called on the carpet to explain his activities in Acts chapter 11. And then uh, when they realized that uh, God was going to also take the gospel to the Gentiles, of course, Jesus had said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. It's the power of God, Paul says in Romans 1.16, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentiles. And in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas was sent out by the Holy Spirit to minister specifically to the Gentiles. It didn't take long for strict Jewish believers in Christ to oppose Paul's ministry, and there was a big conference at Antioch, and uh, Paul's ministry was, was vindicated to the Gentiles. But these Jewish believers did not take that as a final word. They dogged him, they followed him wherever he went, they tried to steal his converts and his churches, and they tried to teach the fact that you had to become a Jew first and be circumcised, all this legalism in order to become a Christian next. And so Paul calls them dogs. Like dogs, they were snapping at his heels and following him from place to place, barking their false doctrines. They were troublemakers and carriers of, of a dangerous infection. They were also evil workers because they taught that people were saved by faith plus good works, especially the works of the law. 
And the Bible teaches that we're saved by grace through faith plus nothing. So Paul says, watch out for these evil workers. May I tell you today, watch out for them today. There are people who will tell you, you can work your way to heaven and everybody tries to be good and we all get there. That is wrong. That's not in the scriptures. Then he speaks of them as the concision or mutilation. That is, they, they, they tore to shreds the true uh, preaching of the gospel. This is Paul's warning. But last of all, in these last couple of minutes, let me say something about his witness, and then in our next study, we'll look at his witness expanded in the uh, next number of verses. But Paul says, we are of the circumcision which worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. He's simply saying that we are the true circumcision of God. We've been cut off from the old life, and we are now uh, enjoying the new life that is in Jesus Christ, and we worship God in the spirit. Jesus taught that in John chapter 4 when he said, They that worship the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. And God actually seeks such to worship him. He was telling the woman at the well this. And then he said, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's why to truly worship God, you must be born of the spirit. And as the spirit indwells you and interprets the truth of God's word, then you can worship him in spirit. And you also boast in Jesus Christ. You glory in Christ. You, re, you, you, you rejoice in Christ and boast in his work, his, his sacrificial uh, sacrifice on the cross for you, the joy of salvation in him, his resurrection, his intercession, his coming back. Oh, you rejoice in Christ. You have no confidence in the flesh. You don't trust in the flesh. The Bible says, by grace you're saved, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Yes, Christianity is not a new leaf. It's a new life. It's not a new start only. It's a new heart. Don't paint the pump, my friend. Trust Jesus Christ and beware of any doctrine that adds to the simplicity of the gospel. But learn to rejoice in the Lord. You'll be strong if you do. God bless you. I'm sure the message you just heard was a great blessing to you, and I trust that it will help you live a life surrendered to Christ throughout this next week. Here at Kansas National Bible Hour, we're always concerned about the spiritual health of those who listen. We're thankful for those who are believers in Christ who can use the Bible messages to grow in their faith. But we're also concerned about those who maybe have never had a personal relationship with the God of the universe. The Bible is very clear that all sin and come short of the glory of God. You can't get to God without some savior, some means of having your sins forgiven. And of course, the Bible tells us that the wages of our sin or the payment for our sin is death. That's spiritual death, that's hell. But the verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we need to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we do that by exercising faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, the scripture tells us. This month we are offering a booklet called The Saga of a Wise Fool by Dr. Fred Hartman. In this booklet, you will meet an intriguing character known for wisdom and foolishness. The contradiction between his reputation as the wisest man who ever lived and his choices that were very unwise can be understood by examining different aspects of his life. Dr. Fred Hartman does this in a very powerful way. To order your copy, please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. 
Catherine's Ontario L2R7A7, or in the US, Box 2010, Buffalo, New York 14231.